Hebrews chapter 13, one verse. It's verse number 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. On Old Fashioned Sunday, we like to look back and remind ourselves of how things were. Today I'm wearing a jacket that possibly would be similar to something uh, an old-time preacher might have worn. Probably most old-time preachers would not have the gold buttons and things like that, but when you're buying off Amazon, you get what you can get. But uh, I know Charles Spurgeon would not have been caught dead, I don't think, with the gold on there. It would have been much more plain. But uh, it's kind of like what someone would have worn in the 1800s. And some of you, many of you, I thank you those who dressed up today, are dressed according to how some people might have dressed a century or two ago. On this day, I oftentimes preach an old-fashioned sermon. I actually oftentimes preach the sermon of, of an old-time preacher. Not one of mine, one of theirs, uh, which is always an interesting thing. We've heard from guys like D.L. Moody and Charles Haddon Spurgeon and Jonathan Edwards and R.G. Lee and Billy Graham in the past few years and maybe a couple of others that I can't really remember. I know we heard from Charles Spurgeon more than once, and I actually considered asking him to come back today. But... Uh, as the Apostle Paul said of Apollos one, side, he, one time, he said, Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. Well, the same could be said for Brother Spurgeon today. He was just not willing to come, and uh, I just couldn't get peace about that, and so maybe some other time. So on this old-fashioned Sunday, we're going to do something different today. We're not going to have uh, another preacher. You're going to have to put up with me. And I mentioned that to a couple of people, and the looks of disappointment... On their faces. It's so heartwarming. Really. But I want us to consider a little bit about what has changed in the centuries since Jesus walked on this earth. As well as what has not changed. And certainly some things that will never change. So let's start with, uh, with this question. Can you think of anything that has changed in the past couple hundred years? How about just in your lifetime? Anybody think of anything that has changed? I see nodding heads. And uh, I, I, I guess, how could there not be nodding heads? Because certainly so many things have changed in just, even, even in just the last few years. Some, some things have definitely changed for good. Can't be denied. I mean, technological advances. I walked in here this morning, and I was dressed like this, and I was carrying my iPad. And Shane said to me, this is ridiculous. You can't be dressed like that and carrying an iPad. Well, this is one of the great things that has changed in the last few years. Uh, I love my iPad. And uh, I remember when I was working at Hiram College, I was the first person there to buy an iPad. Everybody made fun of me. I thought, yeah, that thing will never sell. That will never go. And I was fortunate enough to be there long enough to, be, to see the day when they gave an iPad to every student who came in the door. Uh, technology has changed. Some good things, computers, and I have geothermal heat in my house, which I dearly love. Uh, you know, rockets in space, satellites. You know, it's impossible to get lost when you're driving down the road anymore if you have GPS in your car because you just keep driving and eventually it'll tell you where to go. Uh, it, it's wonderful. Technological advances, medical breakthroughs. Uh, the fact is, you know, cancer is still a bad thing, but it sure is not what it once was. Medical breakthroughs are wonderful. We communicate differently today. We have cell phones. When's the last time you saw a payphone? I, I, I don't think they even exist anymore, do they? I mean, uh, text messages, social media, and I say that one begrudgingly 
because I personally think there's an awful lot of bad on social media, but I must admit there is some good, too. We shop differently. I was sitting in my easy chair the other night, and my wife said to me something she needed, and I had my iPad, and I whipped over to Amazon.com, and within about three minutes, I was able to say here to her, it'll be here tomorrow. Uh, we shop differently. It's, it's, it's wonderful, some of these things. We travel differently. Just this week, we went down to uh, Amish country, and we watched the quaint Amish people running around in their horses and buggies, and we thought, isn't that nice? You know, it wasn't that long ago we were all doing that. It, it just, it's, it's completely changed. Cars are wonderful now. We can fly all around the world. There's just some amazing things that have happened in how we travel. And, 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 and we live longer. We live longer. The average life expectancy in the United States in 2020 was 77.28 years. Just a little over 100 years before that, it was 47. And so there's been some things that have changed for the better, and you can probably think of some too. There have been some things that have changed for the worse, sadly. Certainly the fact that we've lost the ability to tell the difference between men and women is something that has changed for the worse. Certainly the fact that more people than ever list their belief system and their worldview as either agnostic or atheist is a change for the worst. Certainly the fact that uh, when asked what religion they hold, more than ever, some polls say an absolute majority now, uh, would say none, no religion, no faith. These are negative changes. Certainly the complete breakdown of morality that has occurred in our country. Pornography rules our land. Pornography rules the lives of, uh, of statistics would tell us most people. Sex outside of marriage. Even, sadly, those who call themselves Christians. Well, it's the norm. Any Christian couples cohabit together, consider living together perfectly fine. Uh, even though the Bible says completely against it. These are negative changes. And, of course, the fact that some pla- in some places in this country a baby can be killed right up to the very moment of its birth. The fact that in America, nearly one million reported abortions per year on average, these are negative changes. Some things have changed for the good. Some things have changed for the worse. But there are some things that never change, ever. For example, God does not change. Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 6, I am the Lord. I do not change. That's pretty clear. Jesus Christ does not change. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. That's the theme of the day and the primary passage I chose for today. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's Word does not change. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 18. Assuredly, I say to you, to heaven and earth pass away one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Jesus said that the tiniest little part of this world will never pass away. It It doesn't change. And, of course, finally, the gospel, the good news that Jesus proclaimed does not change. And I want to talk about that one for just a few moments here this morning. The gospel does not change. The unchanging and unchangeable gospel of our unchanging and unchangeable Jesus Christ does not change. So let's make sure we understand that for a minute. I I want to ask three questions today. Number one, what is the gospel? And uh, I forgot my number two. What is my number two? My number two is what must I do about it? And my number three is what if I don't? And so let's look at those three questions here today. What is the gospel? First of all, we need to define the word. The word gospel simply means good news. It means news. 
good news. So what is the good news that is unchanging and unchangeable? I have been conducting an interesting experiment over the last couple of days. I've been walking up to people and asking them, tell me what the gospel is in three sentences or less. Hmm. Most have found this a difficult exercise. And I confess that I find it a difficult exercise to think about it because, you know, it's, it's hard to distill thoughts down into a little, in just a few words. I, uh, I asked Brother Josh to do this. Three sentences or less. And he actually accomplished it, I think. Each of his sentences had about 20 commas in it, but I think he might have accomplished it. Uh, Pastor Don Richards, I asked him the other day when we were done playing pickleball. I asked him, and he came up with something which I thought was pretty good. He said, God is holy. We are not. Christ died for our sins so we can live in relationship with God through faith in him. That was pretty good. That's pretty succinct. And it includes, I think, most of it. What is the gospel? What is the good news? What are the facts of it? Well, let's go to the Bible, because our Bible, our infallible guide, defines it for us. The Apostle Paul, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, gave what I think is the clearest description of those facts. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 1, By, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. Well, there it is. He's going to tell us what it is. Which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that. And here he's now he's going to give it to us. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. And he goes on and mentions others who saw the Lord after his resurrection. And so according to that passage, that definition passage, the facts of the gospel are these. Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again and was seen after his resurrection. That's it. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's the facts of it. Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Some might be sitting here today saying, well, I'd be willing to believe it. If I really understood it, I mean, I I can get the fact, most people can get the fact that Jesus died, that historical fact. But what is this part about for my sins? That part some people struggle with. What does it mean that he died for my sins? Well, there is some backstory that we have to kind of add to this if we're going to understand Paul's definition of the gospel. Just a few thoughts we need to think about. One is this, God created you to be with him. He created you to be in relationship with him. You start reading in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and you read throughout that entire thing, and you see that God created man uh, in his image to be in relationship with him. He, He created you to be with him. But then the second thing we need to understand is that your sins separate you from him. Adam and Eve sinned. The relationship was broken. And the Bible says our relationship with him now is broken. All of us are separated from Him. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, I know some of you think you're okay about that. I know some of you who today, you might think you're a pretty good person and that you're going to do just fine when you stand before God on your own merits. But I think you need to let that verse roll around in your brain. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All. You need to think about that. If you haven't got it, if it hasn't sunk down into your soul and got a hold of you and helped you to understand the reality as it applies to you, all, you need to just, you need to rehearse that over and over and over in your brain until you get it. I have sinned. 
you have sinned. All have sinned. And so our sins separate us from him. And then the, the other thing that we need to understand is that our sins cannot be removed by good deeds. There's nothing we can do about that. No good thing we can accomplish. And I imagine some would disagree with that, too. Some have been taught, whatever church background you have, some have been taught that if they do enough good things, they're going to make it into heaven. But, but that is not true. That's not in the Bible. The Bible couldn't be more clear in its message that none of us can earn our way. I don't care if you've attended church faithfully every day of your life. I don't care if you've been baptized, if you've been baptized every Sunday. I don't, I don't care. It doesn't matter. There is no good work that can, that, that can, that can, uh, that can make up for your sin. The Bible says it very plainly. By grace, you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Hmm. That's Ephesians chapter 2. When the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that... Having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Not our works. Nothing that we can do. You can't, your sins can't be removed by good deeds. Actually, the prophet Isaiah goes so far as to say that the very best we can do with our good deeds is filth. Filth. We are so far removed from the holiness that God demands. All our righteousnesses. That's the very best we can do. All our righteousnesses. All our righteous acts. All our righteous works are as filthy rags, Isaiah said. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And so with that backstory, here's the gospel. Jesus' birth, death, burial, and resurrection accomplished what your good deeds never could. The forgiveness of your sins. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We all rebel against the perfect God who created us, and therefore we are estranged from Him by our sin. Nothing we do can rid us of our sin, but Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus rose again to forgive our sins and give us eternal life with Him. That's it. That's the gospel. That's the good news. At least that's the facts of it. And it has not changed It is exactly the same gospel today as it ever was. That was the gospel 50 years ago when Billy Graham was preaching it. It was the gospel 100 to 200 years ago when Moody and Spurgeon were preaching it. It was the gospel during the Dark Ages. It was the gospel during the years of the Reformation when Wycliffe and Tyndale and others like them were preaching it. It was the gospel when Jesus walked the earth and when the apostles blazed the news all across the land for 2,000 years And even forever, the gospel has been the same. Now, maybe you're wondering, so what must I do about it? Uh, That's the facts. What must I do about it? In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were cast into prison, and they were cast into prison for sharing the gospel. And uh, while they were in there, God performed a miracle. He sent an earthquake and busted them out of jail. There's no jail can hold the Christian that God wants free. And so the jailer in charge was astonished. And he, broke, he brought them out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I'm hoping that's the question all of us would have if you've never, never considered these things before. I'm hoping that's the question you would have. What must I do about this? 
What must I do in order to be saved? I hope you have that question. So let's turn to the Bible again, because it plainly tells us what we ought to do. In Mark chapter 1 and verse number 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. There in the words of Jesus, we have part of, at least, what it is we must do. You must repent. That's a a word that most of us don't know what it means. It's a word that means, at its very core, to turn around. When used in the Bible, it means we see ourselves as God sees us, as falling short of what he requires of us, as guilty of violating his law, as disobedient and sinful. We see ourselves that way, and we agree with him that we are such. We are sinners, and we see and we feel our need to turn away from our sin that has defined us and turn to him. That's repentance. C.S. Lewis said, if you are on the wrong road, Progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. That's repentance. You must repent. And you must believe, Jesus said. Believe. Now, we might struggle with a word like repent, but I don't think any of us struggles with a word like believe. We know what that means. Believe means believe. It's a pretty simple word. We must believe in order to be saved. You must believe in order to be saved. Over and over we see this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Jesus answered, This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He sent. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Over and over. This word is the word that is used more than anything else in telling us what we must do with the gospel. Believe. Jesus healed a blind man once. He looked for him later. And when he found him, an interesting conversation ensued. And when he had found him, Jesus said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he it is who is talking with you. And then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. That's the response. That's the response. Jesus raised his friend Lazarus to life. Lazarus, who had died and been rotting in the grave for four days. Jesus raised him back to life, one of his greatest miracles. But just prior to that miracle, he had a conversation with Lazarus' sister. And in that conversation, he said to her, Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. That's the response. What must I do? You must believe. You must believe. But there's something else. You must receive. John chapter 1, verse number 12, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. There's there's both both of them there. We must believe. We must also receive. It's vital that you repent to be sorry for your sin and to turn from him. It's also vital that you believe. The facts of the gospel. Believe that when Jesus died on the cross, He died for you. Believe that when He proclaimed that the payment of your sins was accomplished with His amazing cry of it is finished on the cross. Believe it. Believe it. But you can walk away from all of that. Still lost. Repent, yes. But that's not enough to finish the deal. Believe, yes. But there's another step. 
And a lot of people fall short of this one. You must receive the gift of salvation that Jesus died to give you. I've used this illustration before, but we have visitors, so I'll use it again. If I were to stand up here today and hold out a $100 bill, which I'm not going to do, by the way, because I don't have a $100 bill. But if I were to do that, and if I were to stand here with that $100 bill held out of my hand, and I were to say, I want to give this $100 bill to the first person who will come and get it, you could sit there where you're sitting and admit that your empty wallet needs that $100 bill. You could sit there where you're sitting and say, I believe that he really wants to give me that $100 bill. But if you do not beat feet and get out of that seat and come up here and take it out of my hand, you will never have it. And that's the thing that I think an awful lot of people miss. I think in the same way they miss, you must see your need, you must see your sinfulness, you must believe the facts of the gospel that Jesus died on the cross for you, that he was buried and rose again to forgive your sins, but then you must reach out and accept the gift that he's offering you. How do you do that? You do it by simply asking for it. I mean, the Bible puts it like this. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. On this old-fashioned Sunday in 2023, I can assure you that this gospel, this good news, has not changed one bit from the minute Jesus first proclaimed it until now. For 2,000 years, preachers of the gospel have preached the same message. And in so preaching, they've not only proclaimed the facts of the gospel, but they've also told the required response to the gospel, believe it and receive it. For 2,000 years, Clement of Rome, Clement of Rome proclaimed that same gospel. He pastored the church in Rome between 90 and 100 A.D., a long time ago. That means that Clement of Rome, as a church leader, was a contemporary of the Apostle John. He was also a disciple of the Apostle Paul. It's likely, if you look at Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 3, that he is mentioned there. His testimony is one of the earliest that we have. He wrote a letter to the Corinthians and and one of the earliest Christian documents we have outside of the New Testament. And here's what he wrote in there. He said, we Christians, too, being called by his will in Christ Jesus, are not justified by ourselves, nor by our own wisdom or understanding or godliness or works, which we have wrought in holiness of heart, but by that faith through which from the beginning Almighty God has justified all men, to whom be glory forever and ever. Clement taught that you need to believe and that you need to receive. Uh, the gift of salvation. Polycarp of Smyrna lived from 69 to 160. He was a disciple of the Apostle John. He is famous in church history for his martyrdom. You can read about that in Fox's Book of Martyrs. He was an amazing guy. There's only one surviving letter, I, I believe, of his that exists, and here's what he wrote therein. He said, and I quote, I rejoice that the secure root of your faith, proclaimed from ancient times... That's kind of funny, isn't it? It had only been proclaimed for a few years at that point. But anyway, proclaimed from ancient times, even now continues to abide and bear fruit in our Lord Jesus Christ. He persevered to the point of death on behalf of our sins, and God raised him up after loosing the labor pains of Hades. Even without seeing him, you believe in him with an inexpressible and glorious joy that many long to experience. For you know that you have been saved by a gracious gift, not from works, but by the will of God through Jesus Christ. Polycarp taught that salvation was not something you earn, not something you can obtain by good works or living a good life, but rather wholly by faith. 
Polycarp taught, that you need to believe the gospel and receive the gift of salvation. John Wycliffe lived between 1328 and 1384. He wrote this. He said, trust wholly in Christ. Rely altogether on his sufferings. Beware of seeking to be justified in any other way than by his righteousness. Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient for salvation. There must be atonement made for sin according to the righteousness of God. Wycliffe believed and taught that there's no other way to salvation but through belief and trust in Jesus Christ. Atonement must be made for sin, he said. And that is only possible by believing the gospel and receiving the gift of salvation. In years past, we have heard, as I mentioned earlier, from, from, from some, several well-known preachers from antiquity, Moody, Spurgeon, Edwards, Lee, Graham, uh, and, and maybe some others that I'm forgetting. To a man, their message was that same gospel. To a man, they proclaimed the good news that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day. To a man, that they proclaimed that in him and in him alone, there is forgiveness for sins. And to a man, they preached that the only right response to that gospel is to believe it and receive it. Receive the gift of salvation. So we're compelled to ask some questions today, aren't we? Do you believe it? Have you received it? One last thought I would bring to bear, and it will just be a short one. just don't need to hammer on this, but I think it's important. We've said, what is the gospel? We've said, what must I do about it? How about this third thought, though? What if I don't? What if I don't? Most people, most people, when they hear the gospel, they turn and go the other way. Jesus told us that, didn't he? He told us wide is the gate. and You know, that, that thing he said, straight is the way, narrow is the way that leads to salvation. Few there be that find it. Wide is the gate. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many go that way. An awful lot of people, when they hear the gospel, they just get up and go and have lunch. And they don't think about it any further. So what if I don't? You say, this is the gospel, Jesus died for me and was buried and rose again to forgive my sins. That's the facts, okay. You say that I must believe that and receive the gift of salvation, okay. What if I don't? Well, the Bible tells us, just as it tells us what the gospel is and what the response ought to be, it also tells us what happens if we don't believe it. John chapter 3 and verse number 18, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. To believe and to receive is to be saved. To have everlasting life. To experience that relationship with God that he created you for in the first place. To not believe. To walk away without receiving that gift. To put it off until another day is to experience none of that. Actually to receive the opposite. Not saved but lost. Not everlasting life, but everlasting death. Not the relationship God wants with you, but the absence of relationship with Him. Total separation from Him forever in hell. The Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 1, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. There's a reason we preach the gospel. It has the power to save you. It's the only power to save you. 
It is the dynamite that blows apart every objection and every doubt. We do a lot of things in this church. (laughs) We have a lot of fellowships. We do a lot of things that are fun. We play pickleball and basketball, softball. We go bowling once in a while. We play golf. We do all kinds of things to fellowship one with another. We support missions. We have uh, Operation Christmas Child, which this time of year (laughs) takes on a life of its own and uh, just kind of takes over everything. Why do we do these things? Why last evening did we gather at the home of the Turners and enjoy a wonderful time of fellowship there? Uh, Why are we going to go out here in just a few moments and gorge ourselves on good food and and do silly things like dunk Matt in the the dunk tank? uh, Why do we do things like this? Uh, We do all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, We do it because we have the goal of proclaiming the gospel. And any hook and any tool and anything we can do to do that, we're going to do. We're going to present this unchanging and unchangeable gospel of our unchanging and unchangeable Lord Jesus Christ as long as he gives us breath to do it. You are not here by accident today. God brought you here today. And he brought you here not so you would get to eat chicken and JoJo's. Homemade pie. Not so you could fellowship with friends and relatives or see old tractors and old cars or participate in silly games. That's not why he brought you here. All those things are fun and joyful and wonderful, and I don't apologize for them, but they're only a means to an end. God uses such things to bring us together so we can hear that unchanging and unchangeable gospel. And hearing we can believe, and believing we can be saved. You have heard it, and I have shared it as best as I know how. Now it's up to you. Hear his invitation. God says, come now and let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they should be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. My friend, do you believe it? Do you believe the gospel? If so, and if you have not done it yet, I know most of you have, but if you have not done it yet, will you receive it today?